0: i read this morning from the Gospel of John, starting at chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. Saints of the living God, this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. This is the first of the seven great I Am passages in the Gospel of John, and As such, I think it's a very appropriate one of what Christ communicates to us. Let me first start off by just mentioning a common error associated with this passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, that's not the focus of my brief talk this morning, but uh, the Papists use this passage to justify, try to justify their doctrine of transubstantiation, where the elements, the bread and the wine, somehow are transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ about going into any long analysis of this. Suffice it to say that this passage does not directly speak to uh, the Lord's Table in that sense. The disciples at this point had no clue what Jesus was going to do about three years from this point. And so to try to finagle this passage into a context of somehow the Lord's Table in that sense of the sacrifice in that sense is, is, is an error. Uh, cannot be happened. They would not have understood that at all at this point. However, I think what is key about this passage and the Lord's table is that they both point to a common reality. That reality is our participation in the life of Christ through faith. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I am the bread of life. You think about this for a minute. When we eat bread for the nourishment of our body, we see our own weakness, don't we? We see our dependence upon food. In the same way, we must feed upon Christ by seeing our utter dependence upon Him for strength and nourishment for our souls. Our souls don't live by some intrinsic power of their own, that is, some power they have naturally in themselves but they must borrow its life from Christ himself. We see in this passage then the power of divine grace. We see that Christ is the bread by which our souls must be fed. Notice how the Lord graciously condescends to our weakness, how he acknowledges the weakness of our flesh and even of our faith. Look at this table, these simple elements of bread and wine. Even as we partake of this table this morning, we experience the reality, don't we, of of eating that bread, of drinking that wine upon our palate. And so, in the same way, we need to understand and acknowledge that Christ, in reality, feeds our souls. We claim this by faith. We understand this by faith, not by some sort of transformation of these elements into something that they're not. They're bread and wine, and they will always be bread and wine. But we have something, I think, far greater. We have the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. This, indeed, goes far deeper into our hearts than if he just simply said that he is our life by this terminology by saying he's the bread of life we understand our dependence upon him just as our bodies depend upon food to to live and to be nourished our souls must feed upon Christ we depend upon him in order that we might be strengthened in our souls Christ declares that we must come to him how do we take this bread that Christ is offering we take it when we receive Christ by faith. The consequence of our hunger is that we must fly to Christ to seek life. For faith does not look at Christ only at a distance, but embraces him, that he may become ours and may dwell in us. It causes us to be incorporated with him, to have life in common with him, and in short, to become one with him. It is therefore true that by faith alone we Christ, provided that we also understand in that, in that manner, what manner that faith unites us to him. Christ alone is sufficient to give life. That's from John Calvin. Notice what Christ says, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. This life which he bestows upon us is complete in every respect. Thus also in the Lord's Supper, which corresponds to this doctrine. Christ is not satisfied merely with a symbol of bread, he adds to it also the cup. That in him we have this twofold pledge that we may learn to be satisfied with him alone. For never will a man find a part of life in Christ until that he has entire and complete life in him. Let's just think a minute about one of the disciples, about Thomas, and how Christ graciously corresponds and how he condescends to our weakness. You remember, of course, the story Now, he declared that uh, that he had heard from the disciples that Christ had risen from the dead and says, I just can't believe that unless I see the nail prints in his hands. I won't believe. And so, you know, that evening in the upper room, Christ comes in. I think it's interesting what he did. He didn't come in with his arms crossed and said, Thomas, you knucklehead. Don't you ever believe anything I say? Now what do you do? Go ahead, Thomas. Poke your finger in there. Christ knows that we struggle. So he gave us this table to remind us what he did he said look what I did for you I gave my life for you I died that you might live you know sometimes we need to be careful we're kind of hard on Thomas aren't we we call him the doubting Thomas we have that phrase and so forth but you know I think there's probably not a person in here who hasn't been a Thomas at one time or another. I know I have. So when Christ declares to us that his flesh is truly food, he tells us that our souls are truly our famous, that if they lack that food, we will die. You only find life in Christ when you seek the nourishment of his flesh. We ought to boast, therefore, with Paul, that we reckon nothing to be excellent but Christ crucified, because as soon as we have departed from the sacrifice of his death, we meet with nothing but death. Therefore, embrace Christ That he might show himself to you to be the Prince of Life. When he emptied himself, in this manner we are enriched with all abundance of blessings. His humiliation and descent into hell has raised us to heaven, and by enduring the curse of his cross, he erected the banner of our righteousness as a splendid memorial of his victory. We know that the cause of life is righteousness, that this righteousness flows from God alone. And yet where else do we attain the full manifestation of his righteousness but then in the flesh of Christ? For in his flesh he has accomplished our redemption and that it was offered as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. In his flesh, he yielded obedience to God that, we might, that he might reconcile us to him. In his flesh was also filled the sanctification of the Spirit. And in his flesh, he conquered death and was received into heavenly glory. So let's participate in his flesh by faith in what he has accomplished for us. In his flesh he has conquered sin, death and hell, that we might live. Saints of God comes into the living bread. Partake of him by faith. Come to him and live, because he is the giver of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We indeed come to you just overwhelmed by your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that that little verse that we know and say that we love because he first loved us. And how often we look at the first part of that verse and we know we are duty to love and to be faithful. But how often we gloss over that last part. You first loved us we declare with the Apostle who is sufficient for these things. So, Lord Jesus, we indeed come to you this day, for we hunger. We pray, O Lord, satisfy our souls with your presence, for we thirst. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have displayed your grace to us. Thank you that you have given us this table to remind us of what you have accomplished for us. You are the living one, the one who has indeed conquered death and hell and who lives forever. Calls us, Lord, to cling to you that we might live. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for the work of your redemption accomplished through Christ. For in his name we pray. Amen.